What's up, everybody? Welcome to episode 42 of The Locker Room. We've got another awesome interview today with Eric Engels, who is a hockey writer and insider for Sportsnet in Montreal for the Canadians. Um, we got a lot to talk about, actually. We got Borat news, World Series news. I have a really embarrassing story I'm going to share, but before we get into that, uh, Cappy, what's up? Maxi, how you doing? What's up, guys? Yeah, I can't wait for your Oy Bay. I already know it's yeah, coming. Yeah, we all know it's coming. <laughs> um, but yeah, I had a everything's good. I had a good weekend. My birthday was um, Monday. Oh yeah, happy so, birthday! Happy belated happy birthday! Thank you, thank you, boys. Thank you, boys. 25. Yeah, twenty five. Fuck, I'm so old, dude. It's actually so weird. But yeah, it was good. You know, I, I mentioned it on Twitter. Haven't had the opportunity really to spend my birthday in Florida, so it was really nice. Just kept it low key. Um, probably do something with the boys more this weekend or something like that, but not too worried about it. It was it was pretty stress free. What about you, Maxie? How was your weekend? Maxie's so happy. Jake right Jamesh. <laughs> Jake Jamesh. No, Yaksamash, my name. <laughs> actually so happy today. It's so cute. What's up? Uh no, my, my weekend was good. I actually didn't play golf this weekend, which is probably my first weekend since this whole quarantine. You're gonna be rusty, you're gonna be trash next time you play. Though. I did hit the I did hit the range though, so that's um, so beautiful. Loosened up a little bit, but um, no, it was good. Um, the Seahawks, my last leg of my teaser, had them at plus two and a half. Uh, that <laughs> fucking sucked, um, but I'm announcing my retirement. Really? Already? I had, I had, a, I had a big hit. I, I, I put money on the Rays Dodgers future for the World Series. Big hit. But uh, let's just say I'm 0 for 7 on uh, teasers this this season for the NFL. If you want to um, well, fade me, just hit me up. Yeah, Maxie. Uh, I mean, it's good you hit that, but fuck, I haven't been betting at all, to be honest with you. I'm just more of a, a watcher than a, than a better. Um, but who do you, I mean, the game's starting in like a couple hours, I think, or even pretty sooner than that. Who do you got tonight? You think that the Dodgers are going to close her out or you think Tampa's got a shot? I think Tampa's got a shot in my opinion. 100% they have a shot. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I'm an idiot. The one, the one thing I'll say is game seven, the dot. I, I actually spoke to my cousin, Sammy, and kind of like, you know, asked, did a little interview with him. How's he feeling? Any butterflies? What's going through his head? Basically, here's what Sammy said. Game seven, they got Walker Bueller on the mound. They're very confident about game seven. So game six right now, no nerves. They're just going to come out loose. They're going to play some baseball. And they're going to close it out, and they are going to close it out in six because they are loose. They're not tight. I'm not saying Tampa's tight. Tampa's a great team. They're loose. I, they're not. I tight. think. I think they are loose, not tight. Um, <laughs> I think the Dodgers are going to close it out in six, and uh, hopefully, uh, my uncle and cousin uh, end up, you know, spraying the champagne bottle around in their hotel room. I haven't placed a bet in about two weeks, but because you say that, I might actually throw 500 bucks in the race tonight. <laughs> I'm telling you, you should take the opposite of anything. I might have to. I might have to. Max texted love- me probably 10 times this weekend. I fucking hate gambling. I hate my life. I'm quitting. 
<laughs> I love that the Rays pitcher, though, the guy that's starting side. I don't know his name. You know, I don't know a lot about baseball. The guy looks like an absolute owl. He's got bags under his eyes the size of fucking Ron Konkama. Is Blake I Snell starting to? I only know Snell and Glass now. That's about it. Oh, Max, he's changed his whole perspective. He's like, oh, shit, Snell's starting. <laughs> I think he is. Yeah, I'm almost positive he is. I was watching uh, part of my take earlier. Yeah, no, Blake Snell's starting tonight. Let's go. I'm still, <laughs> I am, I'm still, I'm still, I'm not, I'm not changing it. Uh, you got to stick with your, stick with your gut on that. But what else is up, boys? You guys want to get into a little Oy action? You want to talk a little Borat? You guys get to watch Borat this weekend or no? I I did. What'd you think? I yeah, yeah go ahead, Maxie. Yeah, you give your opinion because I only got twenty minutes in. You can't watch that movie alone. Um, what do you mean? Yes, you can. Tell me why. Give me your give me in your opinion why you can't I watch that movie. Hear Max, I want to hear Maxie go first, and then I'll tell you why. All right. okay. So okay. here here's my take on Borat too. I didn't think it was, I. I mean, if you thought that it was going to top the first one, I think that you were setting the expectations a little bit too high. However, I think. Borat 2, this is my take on it. I think Borat 2 was more impressive than Borat, than the first Borat for the sole reason. And you even saw, like, he was famous. And I, I thought that was one of the funniest, uh, funnier parts in the movie. He was running around. They recognized him, like, oh, my God, it's Borat, like, uh, chasing him, chasing him, whatnot. And the fact that he had to dress up in, like, a costume and stuff, I think that's what made it more impressive. And also the the way the world is today, the fact that we're so politically correct, he changed, like he adapted to kind of how the, like how sensitive everybody is kind of like, I thought Bill Burr was excellent on SNL. I thought, you know, definitely gray area, but I thought he was hilarious. But I mean, that that's the way I kind of thought about it. What about you? Yeah, no, I, I didn't think it would, it would top the first one, but it just, dude, just, it's so classic. And, and we kind of knew like going into it, what exactly it was going to be, but it was still so funny, even though you knew what you were seeing, you know what I mean? Like, obviously we had high expectations, but it's still to me fulfilled exactly what I thought it would have been, you know, like we could have predicted all those jokes, the Jewish jokes, the running of the American was pretty funny in the end. That was hilarious. Um, <laughs> with the needle. Yeah. Oh my God. That was, that was so funny. But I like, like you said, he's dude, he's so smart. He is a genius for just how he executes this. But also, I mean, this is a side note cap. I know you're going to talk about it, but I watched his other movie that came out recently, the trial of the Chicago seven. That movie was incredible. Highly recommend. But Cappy, tell us about your first 20 minutes of Borat. It was more like 30 minutes, but yeah, I, I agree with you guys that like, it's obviously wasn't going to top the first one. The thing that I love so much about like the first month, the first one, and like, even like years after the first one even dropped is that you memorized like the weird, like, like Maxi, he, like he opened up Yaksamaj, my name, like you, <laughs> you memorize all of his lines from that one. And obviously it's not going to be the same thing from line two. Cause it's the voice and everything that, that you already know, King of the castle, you do this, you do that. Like, I don't know. The first one was just so iconic, but I agree with you. It was funny, like him coming to America and like everybody recognizing him. It was pretty cool. And he's such a famous actor. I love him in a lot of stuff, like you guys said. And he's a fellow member of the tribe as well. So you cannot hate the guy. Can't not hate the guy? Yeah. You never heard that? You mean can't hate the guy? <laughs> can't, can't not hate the not guy? Hate the guy is can't like Yeah, that. <laughs> no? Yeah. <laughs> 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 Yeah, you can't not hate the guy. You kill me, dude. You fucking kill me. <laughs> <laughs> let's just go to Oye Bay right off that. Oye Bay. Oye Bay, let's do it. Who's starting here? Oye Bay. Holy cow. Oh, my God. Wow. 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 Oye
So I guess I'll start. Um, I got two of them. I'll be quick with my first one. My first one is, um, I don't know if you guys saw the UFC card this past weekend, Habib versus Justin Gaethje. Uh, Habib retired um, after going 29-0. and 0. So that was my, kind of my oy because I really had no idea. I wasn't expecting him to retire. It's kind of like, dude, we're 29-0. and 0, Like, you wouldn't want to go 30-0. You know? Like, come on now. But that's just me. Um, my other one, my other way, I'm actually at my buddy's house right now. So I hope he hears this. I'll kind of like make this quick, but regardless, he was hanging out with these girls over the past weekend and, um, they're at the, they're at the, this bar or whatever. And these girls keep going in and out of the bathroom and he asks them like, what are you guys doing? And they're, they're like sending their nudes to guys and they're paying, basically paying them to get, to get their nudes, everything like that. And they're like paying for their bars and everything like that. It's the craziest thing you ever see, saw in his entire life. Wait, 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 paying for them to, wait, 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 paying for them to send them, like just random guys, like, no, 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 sorry, Uh, yeah, I, I, it's a long story, but I'm trying to make it short now, so these girls are going to the locker room, taking pictures, and like sending it to random guys, and these guys are like paying them to send them, yeah, 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 could be, could not be, who knows, Max is, Max is starstruck, Max, like, a, a locker room, what? Oh, I thought you said the locker, locker room. room. I, I, no, I thought you said the lock. Uh, they went into the locker room. I, I <laughs> no, they went into the bathroom. You uh, did say locker room for sure. I, I did? No way. No yeah, way. No, no. Oh, I'm sorry, Maxie. My bad. My bad. <laughs> yeah, I was, just, I was like, what, what, what are okay. the bars like down in the bathroom. Okay, so you guys got the <laughs> you guys got the gist of the first part of the story. So I guess one of the guys that this girl is snapping asked like, Hey, can you, can you send me more with like any guys you're with? Blah, blah, blah. And my boy almost had an in with this girl to get in was about to do some stuff with her in order to send this thing. And at the end of the day, what he the didn't end up fuck is happening in the story. <laughs> <laughs> and at the end, <laughs> at the end of the day, he didn't end up getting with her. But the moral of the story was, is that it was pretty crazy that this was all going on at a bar and how easy these girls could just make money without anybody knowing. I kind of tried to wrap it up and kind of make it shorter, but it was, yeah. The most bizarre thing I've ever heard. <laughs> um, okay. Well, I guess I'll go now. Um, <laughs> Can't top that. Yeah, that's mine's not nearly as nuts as that one. But uh, so mine is, my morning routine usually consists of starting my day, then going and grabbing an iced coffee and you know it's uh, it's fall season you got the uh pumpkin Spice. cream <laughs> pumpkin cream ice uh iced coffee it's amazing and i'm in line for it and there's an older woman in front of me she's going to pay she her she maybe got like a muffin and uh and like i don't know a latte or something i don't know okay and you know there's the starbucks um the starbucks points through the app and she had a coupon as well as cash so she is breaking it down because i guess the amount of points that she had on the phone did it and including the coupon didn't equate to the total amount on the receipt so there's a there's a line there's like five people behind us uh one guy in front of me says are you gonna order and i said are you watching this woman trying to pay right now like it's gonna take five minutes ten minutes so there i am waiting uh, like five to 10 minutes and I'm, I'm 
typically a, a patient guy when it comes to this and i'm kind of getting restless because i just wanted to you look heated right now telling it <laughs> yeah no it was it was ridiculous and it took about five minutes for this for this lady to pay eight dollars essentially for these few items because she had to use her coupon and her starbucks rewards points and pay with like a credit card or cash whatever it is and i kind of gave a uh a snipe but like kind of low-key when i went up i said i i said don't worry guys i'm only gonna pay with one method and uh wow, ordered yeah i got her bad <laughs> <laughs> i would have just and paid for her honestly at that point I, I have the worst it, patience kinda, ever it, it, it almost got to the point but like after they got the thing with the starbucks points it's like all right let them let them complete this uh trifecta right now this is there's a very high possibility that the one in front of you was my mother. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I was gonna say old, yeah, old Jewish people love, yeah, love their coupons, especially when you get you get to that age too. You need something like oh, I need my Starbucks points rewards. Like they live, people live for that. They're like, oh yes. But like, do do either like pay through through your phone at that point? Like, why yeah. do you need like save the coupon for another time? No, and clearly, yeah. you don't have that much money on either of them if it can't pay for an $8 freaking order. And it's Starbucks. It's not like you're going to, like, Peter Luger's. <laughs> good point. Actually, good point. There is a funny uh, YouTube video. I don't know what the fuck it's called, but it's, like, this comedian doing stand-up. And it's, like, he has a story about literally someone spending $8. And he screams, like, $8. <laughs> like, I'll, I'll try to find it and send you it because that, like, literally reminded me of it. But, I found uh, – I, I saw a video on Twitter of a guy – uh, like basically saying this is how you should always order during the fall at Starbucks. He's like, can I get uh, an iced coffee with a little bit of pumpkin and a little bit of pumpkin? <laughs> uh, pumpkin spice latte brings it out in everybody, huh? All right, everyone's waiting for it. I know, I know. How do I, uh, how do I get into this? So I have a very weak stomach and I went to play tennis with my friends Jack and Adam at a private tennis court. Uh, no bathroom in sight. I warned them. I was like, guys, like my stomach is killing me. Like I need, I need to take the car and go home. Like I, I can't sit here. And Jack starts yelling at me, dude, you're not driving my car on this road. It's dangerous. I don't trust you, blah, blah, for five minutes. And then I was like, all right, well, I don't know what to do. And my stomach started queezing and I shit in my pants. And not, <laughs> not like a cute little poop, like a full duty in my pants. <laughs> And then I'm sorry, women, if you're listening, cover your ears because then I had to go sit on all fours in the backseat of the car, screaming at Jack to drive me home. And he's yelling at me like, dude, you're not going in my fucking bathroom, like going someone else's bathroom. Like, I'm like, dude, I'm not walking through your house with duty in my pants, like going to get shit over the floor. So I literally ended up taking my shorts off outside the house, getting a garbage bag, running bare ass naked through Jack's bedroom into the toilet to like clean myself off. And I like may or may not have let like two little like duty balls onto Jack's bedroom floor. And now I don't live with him anymore. <laughs> oh, you are the biggest sicko I've ever met in my entire life. Well, One and two, is that the first time you shit your pants or no? Not in my life. No, but the funny thing is I told like my friends and family and they're like, everyone all of a sudden has a story about them shitting their pants. It's not like, such an embarrassing thing. Everyone does it apparently. My dad told me how he was sitting in traffic on the, from the Throck Bridge one day, 30 minutes. He's like, I, I can't hold it. I don't know what to do. And just shit in his pants and just, and just like, like leaped up off the seat and drove <laughs> home the rest of the time. Like people apparently do this all the time. I'm not embarrassed. No, there's no way. You guys have never yeah. shit your pants? Never. A shark. 
but never like full on, you know. <laughs> not a, not I, a I, duty. I, I I have I have peed I've peed my pants multiple <laughs> yep. times. Oh my god! I was wait. just gonna say that. Multiple I was just gonna say that. The, the the worst part of the story I forgot about this. So I threw the shorts out like in the trash bin, like on the street, and then I went to get an Uber an hour later, and I was like, "Where the fuck is my wallet?" Freaking out. Guess what? Oh no! Yep, threw my wallet out in the shorts. I had to go back into the garbage, dig through the fucking shit shorts, and get my wallet. And then I like had to sanitize it down. Disgusting. Disgusting. So oh my god! Speaking of speaking of uh, Max peeing like peeing your in your pants, the last time I can remember peeing in my pants is actually a funny story. It was like when I was like probably like 13 years old and, and I was in the middle of a game and it was like the third period and my dad and my dad was in the stands and I was trying to get his attention and I'm like in my goal uniform I'm like that like I gotta fuck, I gotta pee like that I gotta fucking go I gotta go to the right now and my dad was one of those psycho parents I've talked about this like when I was younger like growing up that was like in the stands like doing the, if I make like a bad save he's like got the glove up like keep your glove up you fucking you suck <laughs> So, so I literally, he's screw. So, so more of the story, he's screaming at me from the stands. Just fucking pee in your pants. Just fucking do it. Do it. I don't care. Do it. So ended up doing it, and we ended up like winning the game. I remember like the game it was like a like a one goal game. It was pretty funny, but that's like the last time I remember. You just uh, have no option. Like, what do you do? No, you're right. You're right. right. Miles Davis. I was gonna say Miles Davis. <laughs> um. So I'm gonna tell you guys my, my funniest uh, pee story, but before. Before that, I'll I'll just explain the last time that I peed my pants. Like, um, so this is what it's come to, boys. The, la- the last time was my buddy invited me out to Army Navy, um, and they it's every year. It's it, I'm telling you, if if you have the opportunity to go, it's a blast. It's so much fun. The only problem is there are not that many porta potties. Mm-hmm. and nobody wants you to go into their rv to go and pee so there i am <laughs> waiting in line a couple beers deep maybe a few more and i'm in line i have to go to the bathroom and it got to the point where there were two people in front of me no matter how like no matter what it's it's common and i was like all right well i'm going into the stadium covered in pee yeah but just pour a beer down your pants cover it up I don't really know what I did after that, but that it was, <laughs> um, but I will tell you the funniest piece story. My grad year, I was working in the athletic department and they needed somebody to be the mascot for the basketball game. Oh, I know this. <laughs> and my boss and like whoever was doing like the marketing uh, for that was like walking around saying, we need someone, we need someone. And, I, and my boss turned to me, he's like, why don't you do it? Like as a joke. And I was like, I will 100% do it if you're serious. Mm-hmm. So I'm the mascot. <laughs> Problem is when at Lehigh, Lehigh is not like Ohio state or a big school. The mascot doesn't have a locker room. I like went to like the inventory where there's just like all these shirts and, and uh, Gatorade bottles to put on the, the costume. Mm-hmm. So around right before halftime, I have to go to the bathroom. I have to pee. And someone said, just go in and like, pee on the floor, pee in the costume or pee in a bottle. And I was like, I'm not doing that. So (laughs) wearing the mascot costume, I wait in line to go to the bathroom and I pee in a urinal wearing the costume. That's my best. Pretty good. That's that's my best. uh, If I was peeing next to you, I'd be really confused. Yeah. (laughs) Like a little, like a little kid. No, no, no. It was college students. Well, I'm saying like, still, there's still like families go. I'm sure. No. 
to a Lehigh basketball game on a Wednesday or Thursday I don't, I didn't night? Go to Lehigh. I'm just assuming people. I went to the Hofstra games when I was a kid. Yeah. <laughs> boys, boys, I do want to talk about one of our sponsors really quick, Bagel Boss, um, which is located in Long Island. You know, I've been growing my grind the last couple of weeks. I haven't been on my bagels. I haven't been on my egg sandwiches. But these guys are the best. They got Bialis. They got bakery delicacies, kosher foods, anything you need. Hit them up. They ship out of state. Not a problem. Anything you need. Visit their website, bagelofthemonth.com. They'll have anything shipped to you. Please use our code LOCKA10 for 10% off. Help the boys out. Help Bagel Boss out. We love them. But besides that, guys, I think we should kick it over to Eric. Um, I'm pretty excited for the interview, and I think everybody will love it. Do it. This guy grew up in Montreal, Quebec, and was bar mitzvahed at Beth El. He is currently in his 13th year working as a writer along with TV and radio for the Montreal Canadiens. And in 2015, he joined Sportsnet as a commentator on regional and national broadcasts and has been working as an insider for Rogers. We've also heard that back in the day, he was a Gordon Cup legend for Camp Baco. Welcome to the Locker Room Podcast, Eric Angles. Eric, what's up? Thanks for the intro, boys. Everything good? Everything's good. But right. right off the bat, right off the bat, I got to give a big shout out to Tuddy, better known Max Cohen, probably one of the craziest guys that I've ever been in contact with. Um, he kind of, you know, set us up, introduced us. I want to thank him for that. But I want you to tell some stories about your camping days at Baco, maybe a Gordon Cup story here or there, because I have a, a story from Max and my Gordon Cup days that I want to share with you after. First of all, it was a big deal, like, uh, just because we didn't, like, going to camp, in New York, there wasn't a huge Montreal contingent of kids that went there. Uh, it was an amazing camp. Baco kind of formed the person that I am, and my brothers and I were among the first Montrealers to go there. I have a twin brother named Kevin and an older brother named Mike. And when we first started going to camp back in my, – my twin brother and I we were in 1992, and my older brother was 1989. There was like a van that took us there. There was six of us from Montreal, and – we kind of created this whole Montreal contingent that started going there afterwards. And not long after us arriving at camp, hockey started to become something because the Canadian kids wanted to do that. We all sucked at basketball, and <laughs> uh, it was a huge basketball camp. By the time I got to 16 years old, we were able to compete in a couple of different things. Up until that point, it was just there was a couple of inner camps here and there. But we had a great rink at Baco, and – we had some good players. One of them was, was Max's brother, Adam, who was uh, all heart. And uh, so we went to this tournament, the Gordon Cup. And the most annoying thing about it was that we were playing with this plastic puck that bounced mm-hmm. all over the place. I mean, I couldn't understand why we wouldn't be playing with a zero ball or something like that. <laughs> and if we had played with one, I'm pretty confident we would have won that tournament. That's uh, what everyone says. I never won. <laughs> well, we would have. We had a good Canadian contingent. We had we had Adam Cohen, Max's brother, who was – I wouldn't have wanted to play against him. He was one of those players that – how would I explain his style? He was kind of like – he was a little bit like Brandon Gallagher, just like reckless, just willing to kind of do anything. Mm-hmm. And, uh, my buddy Steve Schloss was on the team. He was playing rec- uh, some roller hockey in Florida. He was a good skater. He, he could play. Um, but you know, our team was kind of filled out with, with some plugs in there. My brother was in nets. He was great. And I could play at the time. And, 
I contend if if we had played with a puck that could that you could handle or a ball that you could handle, I, I'm pretty confident we would have made a lot more noise there than we did. We won a couple games. Mm-hmm. We lost. My favorite memory from the tournament was my buddy Craig Bruno took one of those hills at Timberlake uh, in his rollerblades and went skidding all the way down that hill right. <laughs> on a gas, which was incredible. And uh, he had a mark that was left on him for at least a few weeks after that. So that was, <laughs> that was my favorite memory of going there. Yeah, no, those days were the best. I want to give you a quick Max Cohen story. I, I'm sure you know him super well. When I was like a 12-year-old kid, my first summer on the Gordon Cup team, Max ran a drill for us in practice. You passed the puck from the corner to the blue line, and Max would rip a slap shot at you with the puck. You had to block it. <laughs> so me, a 12-year-old kid, scared shitless, just trying to like eat a puck from Max, who's like this big jack guy ripping a 100-mile-per-hour slap shot at a 12-year-old kid. <laughs> well, Max was known for his intensity. That's for uh-huh. sure. I guess it toughened you up. I see you're missing a couple feet there, so I guess mm-hmm. you got your nose dirty after that. He's the softest, the softest player with missing feet. It is hockey true. That is true. Guilty of that. Eric, speaking of a more competitive hockey, though, I want to talk about the NHL draft a little bit that happened this past week. Obviously, Laz and I's New York Rangers had a pretty successful one, um, but I got to ask you, what Montreal prospect are you most excited about? Yeah, I don't, I, you know, I, I won't pretend to know all that much about the kids that were just drafted. It's too fresh, and I haven't had a chance to talk to them and get into it with some of their coaches and the different people. Um, already in the Canadian system, they have a lot of really good players on their way. I think Cole Caulfield is going to be a really good goal scorer, and the fact that the team has gotten better and they're giving him time to develop at the lower levels and in college is going to help him. Um, he's an undersized guy, but he's a guy that blew away the uh, – the U.S. National Development Team program records with he scored like I don't know 72 goals in a season and a, yeah he's special he's 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 a sniper he knows how to, it's not just that he's got a great shot and scores goals it's that he knows how to put himself in the places where you're going to score at every level and so I think he's going to pan out to be a pretty good player the fact that they're buying him time is going to help a couple prospects obviously emerged in the last year in the Canadian system and Nick Suzuki and Jesperi Kokaniemi and Kale Fleury. Uh, on the back end, and, and Alex Romanov is going to be here starting this season. And there's a kid out in Sweden by the name of Matthias Norlander who's really turning a lot of heads. He's a left-shot guy who plays the right side, and he's just got unbelievable hands, great hockey sense, and everything I'm hearing about him is he's going to be a, a lock as a top-four defenseman whenever he does come. Caden Primo in Nets, U.S. guy, U.S. college guy. Obviously, pedigree's there with his father, Keith, who played in the league for years. Northeastern. What's that? Northeastern product, right? Northeastern product, great kid, great story of how he was drafted, seventh-round pick. And uh, he went to the draft as a kid that everybody thought was going to go in the third or fourth round. And he had a goaltending coach that kind of sewered him and was telling teams not to take him. His character was lower, this or that. And inevitably, the Canadians traded to get a seventh-round pick from Philadelphia, of all places, where Caden Primo's, you know, grew up in their backyard and their his father played for their organization and they drafted him and he put up unbelievable numbers in Northeastern quickly became the starter as a true freshman, which is kind of unheard of, especially for a Boston hockey program. And, you know, went to the AHL this year. It was great. Made his NHL debut. and was great. And there's, there's high hopes for him. So that's, that's as far as I go the, the Canadians prospect pool, because the kids that were just drafted, I got to learn a bit more about them and speak to them and find out like the real inside, uh, what you can read on, 
HockeyDB or watch on a video <laughs> on YouTube. I got to say one thing. It's probably the most Quebec thing I've ever heard. Are you saying in nets? <laughs> sure. In net, in nets, in goal. You are, right? <laughs> all, the, all, the kids, all the kids I know from Quebec, they always say in nets. So I was like, that's like the most Quebec thing I've, I've heard in a, in a while. No, if it was more Quebec, it would be dans le filet. <laughs> No, that's, that's too funny. But I, I also want to go into the bubble experience a little bit. Obviously, you had kind of a different perspective, kind of writing stories from home, I imagine, right? How was that experience for you? No, I was there. Um, none of the reporters were in the actual bubble. We were allowed in to cover the games. Uh, it was an extremely unique experience being in the rink for playoff hockey without anybody else there. Uh, it was it was strange, but it was exciting. Um and the hockey really took over, you know, like I thought it would be impossible to conjure the kind of emotion on the ice that you would get if fans were in the building and everything we know about playoff hockey. Um, but the minute the puck dropped, you kind of stopped focusing on the fact that nobody else was around you and just focus on the hockey. And I thought the hockey was exceptional. And it was, it was, it was a unique experience as a reporter. Uh, you know, I was going, my, my days were jam-packed the Canadians were a hot story while they were there so you know whether it was the, the fact that their coach had chest pains and a, and a heart situation that sent him home to Brennan Gallagher having his jaw broken in game five of the, the Philly series to the Canadians pulling off this remarkable upset for uh, against the Penguins and my days were kind of like you know I'd I'd wake up go through the different media obligations through Zoom and then go tape something for Sportsnet outside the arena and then run back and get a bit of rest and prepare for the game and go to the game. Uh, then we'd have to – we weren't allowed in the building for more than 75 minutes after the game ended, so I'd have to go do the interviews through Zoom in the arena of the coach and certain select players and then go tape something for television and then I had filed something the minute the game ends. We call that a buzzer. And then I'd go back to where I was staying and fill out the rest of the column and get to bed inevitably by 3 a.m. and do it all over the next day. So it was it was wild and it was fun and it was different and uh, it was it was it was pretty crazy. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure you've never experienced anything like that before in your entire life. And you mentioned like you at the game reporting from the stands like watching and like how you were able to just focus on the game can you elaborate more on that because I feel like it's so much easier for guys like in your position to really like understand the game I mean you probably heard players on the ice just saying shit that's how probably quiet it was yeah you were able to hear a good amount all that crowd noise you heard on television though was pumped into the building as well and at the times when they lowered it you heard a bit more from the benches which was cool we were actually set up in the stands which is rare but they set some tables up so we weren't you know, 10,000 feet above that yeah. kind of view uh, from the from the press box. We were right in the stands. And, you know, I, I love playoff hockey as much as anybody else. It's it's a different animal when you're writing on deadline and writing a buzzer. Um, it means that for at least a good portion of the third period, you kind of got your head buried and you're writing like, and you, you somewhat have to anticipate what's going to happen in the game, especially if yeah. it's one, which is a difficult task um but it's it's fun to do and it's, it's there's definitely some adrenaline to it and the hockey itself you know like i i love the game it's why i got into this so it, you know to be able to have playoff hockey going on with all the uncertainty that we had in the months leading up uh, i was really grateful for it i think the fans had to have been too because the result was tremendous did you feel more intimate with the players at all like did you break that mold of reporter player at all because there was no other outside distractions 
or was well, it kind of the same professionalism? Yeah, it's kind of the opposite, really, because under normal circumstances, we're in the locker room and we're talking to these guys, and a huge part of how I've made my career or anybody who's done this job and done it well, you know, you, you build relationships with guys and you, you know, when, when the herd is going to interview one person, you're kind of off to the side talking to somebody else. And that's how you kind of gain some sort of unique insight that nobody else has. And so, you know, with COVID being omnipresent, you, we, we, that, that dynamic, you know, has changed. And I, I hope we can get back to a world where we're back in locker rooms. It's a huge part of, how you distinguish one voice from another in the media. You know, we, we all write different things. We all might write about the same subject, but we approach it in different ways. And, you know, what separates one person from the next is essentially the relationships they build and the information they get. And so the opportunity to do that in a setting where you're doing a Zoom interview and you get one question and one follow-up question and everybody else can hear the conversation is negligible. So change the dynamic of how I do my work and how, I write what I write and what the end result is, but you know, it's a level playing field and it's, it, we are very competitive reporters from different outlets, but there's a lot of great ones in Montreal. I'm happy to, to work alongside them and read their work and learn from it. And, you know, I, I think the relationships, the one thing that I learned to answer your question, Johnny is like, you know, relationships that I had built prior to us getting shut down and the dynamics changing, were strong enough that I was able to rely on them in different places. And, you know, like in the immediate aftermath of the season getting paused, you know, nobody could really speak to anybody. And I was able to get a, a lot of exclusive interviews with guys because we had built those relationships and they agreed to do them. And that made me feel really good. You know, I had always felt like those were good relationships and they were strong relationships, but you never know for sure until you actually have to depend on them. So mm-hmm. hockey's a close knit community sport. A good Jewish community. Yeah, it's a- yeah, it, it is. And you gain, there's a lot of mutual respect gained in different ways. And I think the players tend to, you know, it's, you're never going to be friends with them. It's not the objective, but you do want to have mutual respect between you. And the way to build that is for a player to feel like you know what you're talking about, like you're telling your, their truth, whether it's, you know, critical or, or in praise of what they're doing. And uh, that you're accountable to them. And that if you say something that, you know, is, is obviously critical of them, that you're willing to be there the next day asking them the questions. And if they have the, a problem, that they can air it out with you. So it's a fun world, man, to be a part of. It, yeah. It really no, yeah. I mean, it, it, I, I have to imagine that it was pretty incredible just to have that very, very unique perspective on the NHL that probably, you know, only 100 people really had. But speaking of building relationships, how you mentioned that before, I know that you know that I asked Max Cohen for some dirt on you, and I want to I read the text that he sent me. So I asked Max, give me some dirt on Eric. We're interviewing him tonight, and this was his reply, quote, unquote. He's an identical twin. Talk about his bar mitzvah. They had huge asses. <laughs> so I'm going to allow you to elaborate on that, what, what that might mean. To I've, got, I've got nothing on the bar mitzvah. I don't even, <laughs> I don't even know where that would come from. Uh, the huge ass thing, definitely true. Uh, uh, was built that way. Hockey player ass, that's what it is. All so, hockey guys get the big ass, that's true. Still worked out all right. Married for eight years, been with the same woman for the last 13, going on <laughs> 14. She's very beautiful. She painted this painting behind me. She's a mm. keeper, so. Beautiful painting. It all worked out. I just thought the order of the, of the text was pretty funny. Twin, bar mitzvah, ass. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I, anyways, that's Max. 
<laughs> hey, I'll, I'll tell you, I'll tell you what, you're doing something right though. But um, speaking of your bar mitzvah, I do want to elaborate a little bit more on it. I mean, as a twin, I'm assuming you had the same bar mitzvah as your twin. Um, I mean, were you guys just always competing in general, like competing against to see like who eats the most gefilte fish, who has the best, you know, I don't Yeah, we definitely weren't competing on who eats the most gefilte fish. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, yeah, there was, there was competitive streaks. I mean, what was cool is that, you know, you like growing up had a built in best friend, right? Like I, I didn't have to go searching around the neighborhood for kids to play hockey with outside. The fact that my brother played goalie was uh, good for both of us. Um, we competed each other against each other in tennis quite a lot. Um, we were competitive athletes, but the only disadvantage to being a twin was the fact that we were always grouped together. We were always, if one of us did something wrong, it was all oh, the twins did this. It was like, you know, we, 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 uh, in our early years struggled a lot to carve, carve out our own identities and be treated as individuals. And so one of the best things my parents did was kind of separate us in classrooms you know they requested that we be in different classes and they requested that we be in different bunks at summer camp and they were smart to do that because a lot of the time there was that stigma of oh you know if something wrong happened with one of us it was both of us you know so it's but otherwise it's everyone always asks me what it's like being a twin like I you know I don't truly know any difference so yeah yeah, yeah. it's like me asking you what's it like not being a twin you know like it's what was your What's up? We're identical. Yeah. Wow. What was your guys' bar mitzvah theme? Sweet Life of Zach and Cody? <laughs> we uh, we had a Minha Maruv, you know, nighttime bar mitzvah. And uh, just to be different, I, mean, I think it was more important to, to my brother Kevin to be different from me. Or <laughs> one of those ridiculous fucking button ties. Like it was like a, just a button. Wait, that's it? Just a bow tie? Just a button? I was in the bow tie. He was in like a button. Like that was like <laughs> a cool thing back in when was my bar mitzvah. Uh, I'm 37. 1996. Quick math. That's when I was born, 96. Yeah. He um, was so. um, Eric, you did mention your brother was a goalie, though, which is pretty cool. I'm a goalie myself. Um, you've had the ability to watch one of the best goalies of all time, one of my favorite goalies I grew up watching, Carey Price. Um, have you had the opportunity to spend any time with him? And what can you say just about him, like his play on and off the ice? And then on top of that, a second parter, who do you think is in line to take Carey Price's spot when he's finally done? First of all, I've covered Carey Price for his entire career since he landed here. So I spent a lot of time around Carey Price. And I also, two years ago for Sportsnet Road, uh, we do these things called Big Reads. I did a really cool piece in oral history on how the Canadians drafted Carey Price and how they were going to draft Benoit Pouillard and if, had, if Minnesota hadn't drafted wow. Benoit Pouillard fourth overall. <laughs> Could you imagine? What a difference that would be. It, 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 it wouldn't have been a great thing for Bob Gaming. Was the Benoit Pouillard. You should admit, and you guys would know Pouillard a bit from his days with the Rangers, mm-hmm. um, at the time he had had a tremendous like draft year. And he had just lost his father, and that was seen as kind of like the fact that he had pulled through and persevered under those circumstances, that he was a character guy. Um, you know, he would shot up the rankings. He was playing center. He was playing left wing. He was versatile. A lot of teams really liked him in that draft. It wasn't such a reach that Minnesota wanted him at four, and given the fact that his name was Pouliot, you could understand why the Canadians might be interested at five. 
a lot of people thought they were going to go with Gilbert Brule. In any case, I wrote this story of how the Canadians, I finally got it confirmed that like that was the player that they were targeting. So I figured it would be a fun story to write as price was breaking. We, we released the story right when price broke the record for most wins in Montreal Canadians franchise history. And the story had Bob Ganey in it had Tom Thompson, who was running uh, as the AGM for the Minnesota Wild, Brian Burke, Doug McLean, who were GMs at the time. Uh, Brian Burke was in Anaheim. Doug McLean was in Columbus, and they were picking um, sixth. And uh, Anaheim was picking second in the draft. And Pierre Maguire's in there, and Carey's in there. And there's a whole bunch of great voices. It's, it's a great story it's about how the Canadians drafted Carey Price. Um, I spent a lot of time with him, even so. He's a hard guy to get to know. He's a very quiet guy. He's a very humble guy. Um, and he learned early in his time in Montreal that kind of the less he says, the better it'll be for him because being the goaltender for the Montreal Canadiens in the footsteps of guys like Ken Dryden and Patrick Waugh and Jacques Plante and the greatest names that have ever played the position, it's, it's a, it might be the most pressurized job in all of sports. So he's made life as easy as he can on himself as a highly touted guy and as a guy with such huge expectations, a guy who was instantly given the keys to the franchise as a starting goalie, as, you know, almost in his rookie year and has since become the winningest goalie in franchise history. Uh, I'll say this, you know, and it's probably a controversial take. Personally, I think, I think he's the best goalie I've ever seen just in terms of what he's able to do and what his entire makeup is and is just physically what his ability is. I'm not sure there's ever been a better goalie and, and he'll never touch Marty Brodeur's records or Patrick Waugh's numbers or, well, I should say, I think the best save percentage Patrick Waugh ever had in his career was in his last season. I think it was like 929 or something like that, but he'll never have the same accomplishments because he hasn't played for the same quality of teams. And Ken Dryden won eight cups in a 10 year yeah. period of his career. So the different era. Carey's just, you know, when he's on top of this game, there's nobody better. And, and, the evolution, I'm a big believer in like the evolution of sports and not really comparing era to era because it's just, it would only be natural as the sport evolves that the players now are better than they were before. And so it's why, it's why I think Sidney Crosby is the best hockey player who ever lived and he's never going to put up Gretzky's numbers and he's never going to do what Mario was able to do, but I've never seen a player that's able to do what he's been able to do. So that's kind of how I view Carey Price. That's very well said. From my standpoint, my favorite Carey Price moment, to be honest, is before he was even a Montreal Canadian, was with that shootout against USA in the World Juniors when he finally won. I forgot how many rounds was it, and that celebration after. I think Crosby was on that team too. That was that was remarkable. Yeah, Crosby wasn't on that team. Jonathan Taves was on that team, and that shootout. And I think Taves won like four times that shootout, wasn't it, or something like that? He he had. A... Yeah. So Taves was a guy who kept getting tapped, and he scored, I think, three or four attempts. And yeah. right, I think it was in Lexan, Sweden. I'm, I could be wrong. My memory is not the best, but, <laughs> uh, but Price was, was pretty outstanding. And that was a big coming out moment for him. Everybody, everybody knew he was a yeah. franchise goaltender, but that kind of cemented it. And that's a huge part of his legacy. And then after he got drafted, you know, he went to the AHL and won a Calder Cup and he, yeah. was, the, he was the MVP of the playoffs. So. It's been a gradual stepladder that he's climbed, and he, and he continues. I don't know what you guys thought of him as the Canadians were in the bubble, but I, he, was, he was unbelievable. So. Yeah, please. Every season, every season. If it's not, if he's not your best player, you're not winning a game. I mean, that's just hands down. That's how it's been in Montreal for 
for a while now, but I, I do want to talk about that draft class just, just briefly, which is just stupid dude, with Crosby and Bobby Ryan and Tuka Rask and just goes down the list. So, I mean, Canadians could have landed on anybody, but thank God they landed on Carey Price. I'll end it with that. Yeah, and it's there's a lot of – when you get into the draft and you start doing research on it, um, which I did a lot for that year to write this piece that we that we ran on Sportsnet, you know, like it's always fun listening to who the GMs would have chosen and who they wanted and how their yeah. scouts – like Brian Burke wanted at second overall to pick Jack Johnson, and uh, his scouts were like, we got to go with Bobby Ryan. And, and Burke, wanted to trade down, but nobody wanted to trade with him because of the fact that a couple years before he had – done all this maneuvering to get two top four picks and then traded the number one overall pick to get two and three, and he drafted the Sedins. So when he went to go, he didn't think that anybody – so he drafted the Sedins two and three overall, which was unheard of, like crazy coup. And at the 2005 draft, he knew his scouts wanted Bobby Ryan. He conceded to his scouts. They did the legwork. And he wanted to move down because he knew that nobody else had Bobby Ryan ranked as high, and he felt they could get him at four or five. And he turned to Doug Riseborough, who was at number four, and said, "You know, I'd love to, I'd love to uh, to trade down." And, and he said, "I've seen your act before. I'm not trading with you." So nobody wanted to to look bad the way they did when Berkey was able to land both the Sedins. I think he just I just blew through Berkey's book. I literally got it in the mail last night, and I read it today. And uh, he, that that story is in there. It's it's a story that he told me for my piece on Carey Price. But there's a lot of other great stories uh, from Jobel Brule going to Columbus to Columbus's reaction um, when when the Canadians took Carey Price. They all guys were celebrating in their suite, and it was a weird <laughs> year. It was it was a year where there was a lockout, and the the draft was held at the Westin Hotel in Ottawa, the, the teams, usually you have all your scouts at a table. You weren't allowed to have more than like three guys at a table. So the scouts had a suite in the hotel and there's like video of them celebrating. Like they get a phone call and one of the head scouts answers the phone is like, they're taking the goalie. And like they find out just before Montreal picks Carey Price and they're at six and they want to pick Gilbert Brule, who ended up being a huge bust as we know now. But there's like video of them celebrating like, Oh my God, they're taking the fucking goalie. And like, <laughs> you know, the Canadians ended up with a hall of fame goalie, yeah. and they ended up with Gilbert Brule. So it's funny how it works out. The draft is great. Going back on the draft is always great, whether it's 2005 or any other year. Your, your story is pretty interesting because you're obviously a Montreal hometown kid writing for your favorite childhood team. What can you tell us is like the coolest part about, working in hockey media for the team you grew up idolizing. And then also like what are the biggest challenges that comes with that because you're a fan at heart and to top it off, what's like the one thing you would change about the way media and hockey works? Uh, those are some really good questions. Um, Sorry, I hate you pretty, I hate, I hate you pretty hard there. Let's and Justin, on. I forgot you, you, the answer to your other question, Justin is Caden Primo will be the next guy in line to take over. Yeah, from exactly. staff line, But we're, we're a few years away from that probably. And uh, when you start covering the team, you, you divorce yourself from all those emotions really quickly. And I can tell you that it's not anything, it's not, it's not hard to do. And now 13 years later, it's, believe me guys, when I say it, I don't cheer for any team. I don't care who wins on any given night. I cheer for a good story. I want the best story to tell. 
And, uh, but I will say that I definitely do take a liking to players who are underdogs, players that the fans think are shit, um, <laughs> players that come from difficult circumstances and they're able to persevere. I think, I think that's what attracts me to sports to begin with. Like as a young kid, one of the first movies that made a huge impression on me was Rocky. So like, I'm always looking for that Rocky Balboa type character, like yeah. someone who no one was willing to take a chance on who made it anyways and, and did more than anybody expected of them. So those are the people that, you know, really resonate with me. You can't do this job and do it well if you're emotionally attached to anything involved. So I, I, that, that was lost a very, very long time ago. But the mystique of working around the Montreal Canadiens is a Montrealer, homegrown, raised, you know, I always wanted to do this job. Once it became, once it became a possibility that I could do this job in different capacities, I wanted to be able to do it in Montreal. Uh, you know, my family's here. I met my wife here right at the time I was starting my career and it was quite prestigious to be in an atmosphere where, I mean, the competition is tremendous. I think, every, you know, most of the people who work on the Montreal beat are really great and they don't get there, you know, by, by accident. They get there through a ton of hard work and because they have the talent to do it and it's extremely competitive and there's very limited opportunity for, for jobs, uh, especially on the English side. And, uh, so that part of it I've never taken for granted. It's special for me to be able to do the job in this city. But just like anything you do in life, you know, when you, you find something that you're somewhat good at and something that you you progressively get better at, that's the, the real thing that, that gets my juices flowing. It's the passion of it. It's not so much the prestige of being a Canadians reporter or an NHL reporter. But it's the feeling that I go home at night and say, you know, I'm I think I'm actually pretty good at this and I can get better and maybe I'll be great at it. And then that is a feeling like that I would hope anybody could feel no matter what line of work they're in. It's, it's the key to everything. And everyone says, Oh, you know, you got to be passionate you got to work hard. And like, for me, that's, those are prerequisites. That's like, if you don't have that, you're never going to amount to anything. Um, but you, you have to be, Good. You have to start off at a place where you're good because if you're good, then you can become great at something pretty quickly. Um, and if you're bad at something, I would never discourage you from trying to master it. It just might take too many years to do to be able to make a living out of it. So I was lucky to find something that, or at least be pulled in a direction with something that I felt like I, I could be good at. And, and I hope that with time I've become great at it and I'll continue to work at getting better and better at it. The last question, though, how would you change the way media works in hockey right now? I think I it's just it's super Twitter focused. I feel like yeah, that might be a question more suited for you guys. Like, I don't. Uh, is there something that you guys think needs to change about the way media covers hockey? I mean, we, you know, we we work with what we have access to, and right now access is as limited as it gets. It's not the open door, sit in the locker room, and hang out with the players, and we don't have that right now at our disposal. It's it's a it's a remarkable challenge that we're dealing with and who knows when we'll get back to it. You look across the hockey landscape, there's some just, there's some incredible writers, incredible storytellers. And um, I don't really count myself in that crowd. You know, I try to get information that most people don't have. And I try to bring insight and analysis to the game that I love. And, but I can't, like you guys would be better suited to answer in terms of what you think should change in the hockey media landscape and what would make it better. No, yeah, I, I guess you know uh, we're the we're the fans here, so 
Well, no, yeah. no. I, I, I mean, I'm with you. Like right now, there's nothing you can change. I mean, yeah. right now, social media is me is the media's biggest friend. Using social media to uh, reach out to people, to get your word across. Like, I mean, that's at least my perspective, and that's what I mean is going to have to do. And 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 with our generation, just keep new stuff coming out, new electronics coming out. Like, it's just going to keep growing like that. I don't see it like deferring from that that side. I think every sports reporter, every reporter in general, wants to be best equipped to tell a player or a GM or a coach's truth. You want to be as close to on the mark as possible and be able to provide something that's unique and insightful. And I think the people that do it at the pro level and many people that do it at the college level or even the junior level are are really good at it. Uh, hockey, I think fans are are blessed with a media that's extremely dedicated and devoted to and and one that doesn't take for granted the opportunity to do this for a living it's it is a privilege and it's kind of a luxury and it's it's exciting and you know a lot of us grow up the same way dreaming about being around the game that they love whether it's hockey baseball basketball tennis golf whatever it is to be able to be inside of it i never would have dreamed it when i was a kid i never would have thought like this would be possible that and when I look up and down the contacts that are in my phone, it's it's kind of hilarious. Uh, sometimes I, I, it was really funny the other day. I was like a buddy of mine who would play golf with. Like his name is in my phone, and his name is his name for whatever reason is like Tyler Brody. Okay. Like that's his that's his like first name and his middle name, and that's why I have it in my that's where I have it in my phone. And like he's sandwiched in my phone between Mark Ambroder and like something <laughs> like. So I sent him a screenshot of that because it's, it's just funny to me, like to look up and down and see the people that I've met and gotten contact with. And the hockey community is amazing. Like there's just so many amazing people that have worked so hard. And when you get to the professional ranks, you think about what it takes to get there, like on every level of it, whether you're a reporter or certainly a player or a GM or a coach or a scout, um, some of the most amazing most interesting people in the game or on the executive level scouts amateur scouts pro scouts um you learn so much picking their brain talking to them and i've met just so many funny great people it's i've been blessed with it and if it ends tomorrow i won't i don't think i'll have many regrets about it mm-hmm. ever uh drunk dial uh like martin Brodo or something like that? <laughs> you gotta be careful your boys like hey come on call gallagher this no. time you got never never <laughs> Uh, I'm sure I maybe have accidentally texted or called somebody and said, whoops, wrong. <laughs> you have to call in the morning. Yo, that's, Eric. What? That's my what? biggest fear. I, my, my biggest fear has always been that someone will run into, from the hockey world, will run into my twin brother. <laughs> and, like, he won't, oh, he won't say hi to them because they don't know each other. And they'll be like, why are you such a fucking dick? Like, I yeah, the next time you down. Yeah. Or even the opposite. Your brother, like, hugs them and wants a picture. It's like, dude, aren't you a writer? Like, be yeah. <laughs> That's kind so, of funny. I didn't think of that. That's pretty funny. If he ever wants to screw with me pretty bad, he definitely has a, a way to do it. But thankfully, he's been pretty respectful of my career, which mm-hmm. took a lot to get on the rails and going. So uh, it would I would hate for it to be undone by something like that. But it's there's yeah. definitely been some funny instances over the years where somebody's run into him and he's like pretended like uh, I have no idea who you are, who's Eric, like wait. Yeah. <laughs> he's screwed. The things I would do to have an identical twin. Um, but Eric, obviously Montreal's got some amazing rivalries throughout the NHL. I mean, an original six team, um, and there's there's just some amazing rivalries in general. Who do you feel in the NHL carries the most animosity between two teams? 
That's a good one. Um, I don't think anything beats Boston, Montreal when both teams are competitive. Biased answer. That's uh, <laughs> no, no, it's it's not. I mean, it's the oldest rivalry in the sport. Yeah. It's Toronto, Montreal, and you know the amount of times they played each other throughout history and and what's happened between them. The peak of the rivalry though was like back in 2011, and since then we've had we've had a few different moments. But like that was the year that they played each other. It was the last time like they played each other eight. It was when you played your divisional rivals eight times in a season, and I remember that year the split was they played a seven game series, so they played 15 games against each other. In between Zdeno Chara and Max Pacioretty happened where. He, you know, he hit Max Pacioretty into the stanchion, and I'll never forget that game for the rest of my days. One of the scariest things I've ever seen in my life. I thought he was dead on the ice, and the the very first thought that ran into my head when that incident happened was, "Thank God they're not doing CPR right now." Like it told me that he was breathing. Yeah. Um. But I'll never forget the noise of that. And anyways, that you know, they they had this tremendous seven-game series. I think at the end of the, the season series, the 15 games, they were a goal apart. They were a shot apart. They were, like, it was so close. They had a bloodbath of a game either before or after that Patretti incident where they, they had like a line brawl. Um, and there were just a ton of fights. And it was an 8-6 kind of game. It was, it was a wild game. I mean, that is the pinnacle for me. I'm probably missing something more modern and contemporary it's not coming immediately to my mind, but there's been some pretty good rivalries over the last couple of years uh, in the sport. It's just not coming fresh quickly to me right now. Yeah, no, that one's definitely historic for sure. I mean, you can't go wrong with that answer. That's- Rangers Islanders is going to be pretty damn good as we move forward here because both, yeah. both teams are looking quite competitive. The Rangers much faster than anybody thought they'd get there. Um, and now some great, talent on its way and, and some great talent already in the system, whether it's Kako or Alexi Lafreniere who's on his way. So we'll yeah. Yeah. yeah, don't forget. Yeah, Shesterkin and Sorokin and that. Well, no, no Shesterkin and, 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 oh yeah, for, for the Islanders. Yeah, yeah. On the rivalry, yeah. But honestly, I, I, from, my, from my standpoint, if the Islanders just keep Barry Trotz behind the bench, then they'll continue to have success every year. That's, in my opinion, that's a valid opinion. And Trotz is definitely one of the most interesting coaches and people I've met in the game. Very smart guy. The coaches are amazing. Like to deal with the coaches, like people will ask me who my favorite coach to speak to, and there's like a list of like ten of them. It's, yeah. They're really smart, insightful. John Cooper is definitely up there. Trotz, even Claude Julien in Montreal, very interesting guy. Yeah, how's Trotz? I love from a media standpoint. I'm a huge fan of Torts. Um, I think some of the, I, I think some of the stuff he does is obviously immature. I know where it's coming from. He's just extremely competitive, and I do find it sad that he has this kind of opinion of the media that that everyone's the enemy. But maybe that's that's what just makes him who he is. It just enables him to. He's one of the feistiest competitors in all of sports, and. You know, if he's not fighting against somebody, maybe he, those competitive juices don't flow the way he wants them to. It's interesting. There's an interesting dynamic with Torts and the Montreal media because I don't think it has to do with the fact that he knows he's going to get a lot more attention when we're in town. But he seems to enter those press conferences with it in his mind that he's going to he's going to get asked some pretty insightful questions from people he knows know the game, and yeah. so he his approach and his answers tend to be a lot different than the people he's regularly dealing with 
Um, but you know, it's, I would rather he just sit there and answer. And if he doesn't like the question, find a way to, to, to get around it. But towards his torts, I wouldn't ask him to be somebody different. We get, you know, whether he answers your question or not, whether he gives you the answer you want or not, he's giving you something you can use. One of a coach's worst enemies really is saying nothing because then you're giving us license to put the words in your mouth. You know, you, if you don't want to answer on a specific subject, then we can suggest that your inter- well, our interpretation of how you see it is going to come out in our writing, right? You know, say a bad goal goes in and he doesn't want to answer, but he says next question or whatever it is, we can write that as a line on the piece to say, well, clearly he didn't like the goal. You know, that I think you're better off answering the questions, but I'm sure he's not losing sleep over any of that. No, definitely not. But uh, what do you think the next this this upcoming NHL season looks like? How many games are you talking? Like, you know, conference wise, what do you think? Everybody's a, everyone's asking me, and I don't have the answer. And the reason why is because they don't have the answer. And I know they're planning, and I know they're thinking. And I, if they're smart, they're making three or four plans and going with whatever one they're allowed to go ahead with from a medical standpoint and a political standpoint. Right now, the borders remaining closed through uh, virtually the end of November. Um, the idea that you're going to freely travel between Canada and the U S and run a regular schedule. doesn't seem to add up to me, especially if it's starting in January, potentially as late as February 1st, I think it'll start in January. But again, I don't have a legit answer to tell you. One thing I do know is if the answer has to come today, it seems most likely that the Canadian teams are going to play each other exclusively and that the U S teams will be broken down by region and play each other in those specific divisions. And, I think, you know, even if the ambition for the NHL is to have an 82-game season, I think we're more looking at one that is likely closer to 60, 65 games. I don't know. You know, like it's – I wish I had an answer, and I wish I knew when it was coming down because I'm as excited as anybody to see what the league looks like next year. And we've had quite an adventurous offseason, specifically in Montreal, where some huge additions have been made already. I'm excited to see how that's going to shake out. And I'm sure everybody's antsy, you know, whether it's the players or anybody else involved at that level. They they want to know when they're going to have to be back in town and how to adjust their training accordingly so they're peaking at the right time. And So I would think, you know, right now it's October 21st. By the time we get to November 21st, some of these things are going to become clearer. But, you know, that said, we have to wait to see what's going to advance from a medical standpoint, right? Like, I'm hopeful I'm as optimistic as anybody. I'm a glass half full type of guy anyways, that we're going to get a vaccine and then potentially it's readily distributed or we're going to have some treatments for this. And maybe we could start talking about fans being in the building and going back to a world that resembles the one we were living in before all this shit happened. But who the fuck knows? Yep, exactly. Exactly. At the end of the day, you really don't know. Um, but Eric, we like to close out every interview with a segment we like to call the matzo ball minute questions. We're going to just rattle off a bunch of questions. Want your unbiased opinion as best as you can. I know you will. Um, so what is the next Canadian team to win the Stanley Cup? Toronto. Yeah. Bold. They have superstar talent at the top end of their lineup and they also. You know, people will look at the additions they made and the subtractions they've made and say, oh, are they really a better team? I think they've added something to their room that was lacking and some key leadership and some size, and we'll see where it leads them. But they're best positioned to win the Cup, so my answer has to be them. That said, I don't see much separation between them and six other, five other teams in Canada, and I think the Ottawa Senators are at the 
to boost here. So definitely. Um, so in your opinion, who has better bagels, Montreal or New York? Our boy Ariel Hawani swears by his Montreal bagels. This is not a uh, opinion question. This is a <laughs> has better bagels than New York. There's not. Wow. Even, it's not even debate. Well, we're gonna ship you some Bagel Boss bagels, and you can, uh, you know, give us your answer on that one after you sure. have those. I've had New York bagels. They're great. They're just not as good. Different. Different. Your pizza kills ours, I'll tell you that. <laughs> the worst slice of pizza in New York is better than the best slice of pizza in Montreal. That's fair. Accurate statement for sure. Um, Eric, best place to get poutine in Montreal? Uh, it's a place called Mapoule Mouillé, which means wet chicken. Uh, <laughs> Portuguese chicken spot, and they give you a poutine with the spicy Portuguese chicken on top, and it's the greatest thing ever. Yeah. Oh. I'll always miss that. My year, uh, my year in Trenton when I played in the OJ and I was introduced to smokes poutine for the first time late night drinking nothing better in my entire life. I'll miss that for sure. Um, last question. Actually, wait, two more questions without being biased. Like I said previous, who will win the Stanley Cup next season? And when do you see Montreal making a shot at the cup realistically again? I think Montreal has put themselves in a position, I'll answer your second question first. I think Montreal's put themselves in a position where they're going to be a playoff team this next year, and then over the next few years they're going to become a contender, and possibly for years to come, because their prospect system is excellent, and they finally have some depth on their roster that, that makes them a dangerous team, and they're kind of built for the playoffs with the, the, the players they have, and they showed that in the bubble. And, and if they hadn't shown it, we wouldn't see some of the additions they've made. Um, but they did because they have guys like Carey Price and Shea Weber and Jeff Petrie and Gallagher. And they're, they're kind of built for that style of hockey. The, the key is they have to get there. Uh, yeah. Who's going to win the cup next year. Uh, I think Colorado is a pretty easy bet. They, they seem really well positioned. I love the work that Joe Mark. Zach has done. And uh, I, you know, I know a lot of people thought that they would win this year. I felt they were a year away. Um, they got, some good goaltending going on there, and I think they have to be considered the favorite. Yeah, they got a good one-two punch over there, that's for sure. And that, that's where I look at my at my predictions. Who's got the best one-two punch in that? Yeah, are they there yet? I can't remember what they've added in the off season. They got they got Francois and they got Grubauer. Yeah, no, they need a, an upgrade. They need an upgrade there for sure. That's that's the one position where they need to solidify. And exactly. no, no disrespect to those two guys, they're they're good and and. Francois, like he, Francois, Francois, <laughs> he, uh, he had an impressive season as a guy who was like 28 and coming into the league and nobody yeah. really knew anything about him. And Grubauer is a solid goalie, but they need something better than what really? they have there. And if they get that, I think they're going to be pretty hard to stop. I was hoping that's where Hank was going to land. Yeah, it's going to be totally bizarre seeing him in any other uniform and I don't really like the way that was all handled and the way it's going to end. It seems wrong. It's just one of those guys that as his legacy is somewhat tainted by the breakup in New York and the way it all went down. But he's a class act and, and, uh, it's hard, it's hard to pin it on them too. I mean, they had two young goaltenders on their way up that Gurya, Georgia, Gurya. What's with these fucking goaltenders? Yeah, I, it, I think it is, I think it is Gurgiev, Gurgiev. Yeah. Gurgiev. You know, he, he, he impressed, but Shesterkin is obviously going to be a really good goalie. And so it, it was time, you know, and it's in line with what they promised their fans, which is that they were going to get younger and they were going to get better and more able to build a team around the youth of the team. And they've gotten there like much quicker than, than anybody thought. And that's kind of the, the, 
beautiful thing about the cap system in the NHL now is how quickly things can change. And, and like Montreal is a great example. Like they were the 24th ranked team and very much justified as the 24th ranked team when hockey was paused in March. They were a totally different team by the time they got to the bubble, despite the fact that there wasn't much personnel changes. And now they've made some serious moves to make themselves a much better team. So it, it can change just like that. Um, so we got one last question for you. We kind of asked all of our guests this just to wrap it up. If you could talk to the 15-year-old version of yourself, what kind of advice would you give him? Oh, my gosh. That's hit heavy. Pretty, yeah, pretty deep. Pretty heavy, man. Heavy. If I could speak to my 15-year-old self, what's the one piece of advice I would give myself? Um, start making working out a regular habit. <laughs> it doesn't get easier as you get older. <laughs> that is true. I mean, that's the one thing I was trying to – you know, since I've stepped away from hockey, that's been the hardest thing for me. I put on like 20 pounds during quarantine, so I'm just getting back into the workout routine. I went, I went the other way. I went the other way with it. I started, I started working out hard during quarantine and eating properly, and we were locked away, and I wasn't eating food from restaurants. It was one value of a pretty terrible situation, but uh, I don't know. There's like a million things I would tell my 15-year-old self, but in the end, you shouldn't want to change your life experience. It kind of leads you to where you are. And, Mm-hmm. And as long as you keep it in perspective, it can lead you moving forward too. Um, I wouldn't trade in the experiences I've had, and it's been fun so far, and I hope it continues to get better and I continue to learn from everything I've done. But, yeah, if there was one thing I would tell myself at 15. It said start making working out the most regular habit you have, and then uh, it won't be that hard when you get to 37. The experiences would just be a little bit better with a nice six-pack, huh? There you go. <laughs> but uh Eric, we want to thank you so much. Seriously, this is awesome. Great to get some insight from you, especially, you know, with your experience in the bubble. So um just thank you so much. It was fun, guys. You guys are great. Thanks. Thanks, Eric. Talk soon. Yeah, we'll be in touch. Later. Cool. See ya. Welcome back, everyone. Hope you guys enjoyed the interview with Eric. Uh, We loved it so much. Another great hockey mind. We could chalk that one up in the locker room books. Um, Another Canadian as well. Um, He actually gave us some good hot spots to go to. I'm surprised. Sound like a little bit of a foodie, more of a foodie than I thought. Um, So I got to get my ass down to Montreal and and try some of those places. What do you think, though, Johnny? No, yeah, he seemed like a really cool dude. And obviously, like you said, a great mind of the game. Um, it's, it's, It's very interesting to talk to people about, like, the bubble and their experience, I feel like everyone had a different perspective on it, whether it's a player, a coach, a manager, an equipment manager, you know, a reporter, every, every different kind of perspective. So I thought it was pretty cool what he said about how, you know, what, what we thought maybe would be a little more intimate, but it wasn't as intimate as, you know, he said. No, no, I mean, yeah, you, you definitely said that. And we've had the privilege to talk to like a few different people, like a variety of different people who have been in that bubble experience, like Prisky, like obviously he was a totally different spectrum, like a totally different side of it, like Foxy, of course, too. So yeah, it was definitely cool to get him, his his insight on it too. What are you smiling about no, over there? It's funny that you mentioned Foxy because I went to dinner with him like three weeks ago and we were just shitting on him like, dude, what was the bubble like? And he was like, I was there for like a week, man. Like, <laughs> <laughs> it's like a vacation. It was, it was funny. He had a, yeah, yeah, what was that? What were you guys doing? I saw you getting you, uh, the, the picture of you and Foxy and Foxy had the jersey. I'm like, oh my God, Laz and Foxy getting honored together? What is going on? It's actually funny that you say that because 
so these two guys that went to our sleepaway camp, I don't know if you know, yeah, you know, Foxy went to my sleepaway camp also. Yeah, yeah. They want to like put our jerseys in the roller hockey rink at camp. So they like got them for us and we signed them and they're hanging them up. Pretty cool. That's vet- my, okay. jersey next, my jersey next to Foxy's forever. Okay. <laughs> So if, you, if you don't play uh, any more hockey for the rest of your life, at least you got that. Exactly. I'll, uh, you know, I'll go to my grave happy with with my jersey hanging in the Equinonkey Arena, and a silver medal at the Maccabee Games. And a silver medal at the Maccabee Games. That's correct. And uh, a runner-up NHL. Yeah. Right. Always second place. What's going on? <laughs> Always second place. Never a winner. <laughs> oh, that's so funny, dude. Yeah, Eric was great. I love the question we asked him though about. Um, what Canadian team is going to win the Stanley Cup next? Um, but we really didn't get to throw our opinion in there. What do you think? Who's who do you think is going to win next Canadian team? Obviously not next year, but he said he said Toronto, which obviously like is a great team. But yeah, great for, pick for me. I think I mean definitely a stretch, but like Calgary is a pretty solid team. No, I thought Calgary can maybe you know step up. They just need solid goaltending. Well, I mean, hundred uh, percent. I I I think Calgary's definitely got a Stanley Cup in them, and you know. They got a kid like Capelmaster in their system now. Hopefully they'll exactly. yeah. no, exactly. <laughs> down the road. That's but why no, I, said uh, it. I like the Winnipeg Jets. I think they're nasty um, all around. Aside from that, I think that wraps it up for this episode. Before we do end it, I want to say a quick word from a sponsor, Dude Robe. If you haven't yet, still don't know what you're doing, go to DudeRobe.com. Use our <laughs> promo code LACA, L-A-T-K-E, for 20% off of your very own Dude Robe. Highly recommend it. I love mine. Cappy loves his. And go get your fucking dude rope. See you guys next week. See you guys. Thanks. Come on, come on.